Hello, I'm Elena DelVal, and this is the HispanicNPR.com podcast. My guest today is Lara Pizzorno, who is lead author of Healthy Bones, Healthy You. We will discuss periodontal disease and osteoporosis. Lara is also the lead author of a prior book on bone health, Your Bones is the bone health expert on the AlgaCal community, a Facebook group of 30,000 members, and is two-thirds of the way through her Master's in Science in Clinical Nutrition at Maryland University of Integrative Health. A member of the American Medical Writers Association for more than 25 years, Lara is Senior Medical Editor for Salugeneticists, Inc., and Integrative Medicine Advisors, LLC. She was editor of Longevity Medicine Review, which is no longer being published but remains available online. A member of ResearchGate, she regularly writes review articles for physicians on issues related to healthy aging. Her latest papers are available on PubMed and Integrative Medicine, a clinician's journal. Lara, welcome back. Thank you. It's lovely to be visiting with you again. Let's define the terms that we're discussing today, because you and I have talked about bone health before, but periodontal disease is new. So let's start with the easy one. Let's start with osteoporosis. What do we mean when we say osteoporosis? Uh, Someone has lost enough bone that their bones have become, uh, you know, thinned and fragile and uh, greatly susceptible to fracture. And periodontal disease and periodontitis, what is that? So periodontal disease is a um, disease of the uh, teeth and gums. Uh, Really, it's the the mandible, um, which is the jawbone, uh, starts to lose a lot more bone. And the, um, the connecting tissue that holds teeth in place is also damaged. And so people's uh, mouth is, you know, jaw becomes inflamed, the gum tissue becomes inflamed, and the um, areas around the teeth loosen, open up, and people become um, at much greatly increased risk of losing their teeth. And before we get much further into the topic, would you share any conflict of interest statements that you might have with our audience? Um, none, nothing that I know of. Uh, promoting health, um, you know, promo- uh, typically what I will discuss are the um, things that you should avoid in a standard American diet because they will promote uh, tooth loss and bone loss. And um, the nutrients that you should be trying to consume that will promote your health. And so far, I really haven't found any way to, um, like, nobody wants to pay money to people um, to eat healthier. You know, it's (laughs) drugs, yes, eating healthier, no. So I am not aware of any conflicts of interest. Thank you. Today, we're talking about the relationship between ill bone health, which is osteoporosis, and ill bone and tooth health in your mouth. Am I understanding that correctly? Yeah, it's um, in the mouth. It's the it's also the the gum tissue and the connective tissue that holds your teeth in place um, in your jawbone that it all gets inflamed. And um, so both. 
bone and gum in the mouth. And so you just said that magic word that I keep hearing over and over again everywhere that has to do with our health lately, which is inflammation. So why don't I ask you about that? Okay, well, it, inflammation is the, you know, you can track pretty much any chronic disease uh, back to inflammation that doesn't get cleared out. You know, we're supposed to, inflammation, when it's properly used by our bodies, is very protective. It kills germs, it, it kills, you know, it helps us clear out dead tissue and so forth. But the inflammatory response is not supposed to keep going on and on and on, because when that happens, it starts damaging healthy tissue. And um, in the case of, uh, you know, we're talking primarily about per periodontal disease today. In the case of periodontal disease, while what happens is that you, like a, um, a, a biofilm forms on the teeth and the, and the gums, and it is very inflammatory and it keeps releasing all these inflammatory compounds that when it's chronic, uh, just end up destroying that healthy tissue. So that's, that's how inflammation fits in um, you know, to periodontal disease. In terms of osteoporosis, anything that causes chronic inflammation will activate uh, too much the, the cells in your bones called osteoclasts. Uh, it's O-S-T-E-O-C-L-A-S-T, osteoclasts. And these are the cells that break down you know, old brittle bone and areas of bone that have been damaged and need to be replaced. But when they keep getting activated too much, the cells that replace the bone can't keep up. And so then you end up losing bone overall. So um, there are many things that cause inflammation and I hope we'll, we'll have a chance to talk about some of the ones that you, know, you can, are, are controllable that you can avoid so that you can short circuit that problem and not have chronic inflammation going on in your mouth, in your bones, um, in your kidneys or cardiovascular system or your brain for that matter. Um, chronic inflammation will cause lots of problems for you everywhere. And so is that the main relationship between these two periodontal disease and osteoporosis that we're talking about? Is inflammation the link between those two? Yes. And you've also mentioned cardiovascular disease. And I think somewhere along the line, you had mentioned to me, Alzheimer's and diabetes are mm -hmm. linked through inflammation. Is that right? Yes. Uh, in, in chronic inflammation, it just you know, each person's body is susceptible in different areas, perhaps. Um, and it, where the inflammation shows up first, um, you know, where the damage from it shows up first will vary from person to person. But it's the same driving force that's dysregulating how your body's functioning and just overwhelming. Either it's, you know, causing your osteoclast to be too active or causing plaque to form in your arteries or causing beta amyloid proteins to form in your brain. Um, it, it, it's, you know, it, it is the same, the same um, compounds. They're called, uh, many of them are called cytokines. They're, I can roll off some names that you, you know, might be familiar to some of you like um, uh, NF-kappa B or the cytokines IL-6. Um, these are uh, activated in all these different conditions 
and in the in whatever tissue they're being excessively activated in, that tissue is going to be damaged. A few minutes ago, you mentioned the standard American diet. SAD is the acronym, right? Yes, for for good reason. <laughs> so the the standard American diet, um, you know, what what most people are eating nowadays are lots of processed, already processed foods that um, contain uh, refined grains, refined sugar, um, inflammatory fats, you know, saturated fat, trans fats, um, not enough of the good fats, the omega-3s. Most people are deficient in the omega-3s, which are anti-inflammatory. And we can talk about that if you want. They, the omega-3s um, resolve, they shut down the inflammatory process. Um, and we don't get enough of them. We get lots of the omega-6 fats, which are pro-inflammatory. Um, the American diet is also very high in sodium, typically because it's added to all the processed foods um, and the restaurant foods have very high levels of sodium. And then um, the foods are grown in a way, uh, conventional fertilizers are very high in phosphates, which cause problems, and um, low in phytonutrients. Uh, the, the chemical fertilizers do not support the development of phytonutrients in the plants. Um, plants grown conventionally are very low in phytonutrients. They're also very low in many protective minerals like magnesium. Um, and uh, the conventional, the, the, the fertilizer used in conventional agriculture is not only low in these good things, but it is high in a toxic heavy metal called cadmium that, um, that is really destructive to the kidneys. And um, you put it all together, you know, and, and what you get is a, is a perfect recipe for, for bone loss um, in your skeleton overall and in your mouth. So yes, the standard American diet, um, and, and that's what I hope to talk about, things that you can focus on in your diet that will help counteract um, these things and provide you with the nutrients that your bones need um, in your skeleton and in your mouth to function properly. What is high resistant starch? A resistant starch is, uh, it is found in starchy vegetables, it's in legumes, it's in uh, uh, quite a few vegetables, um, uh, sweet potatoes are a good source. Potatoes, um, if you cook potatoes and then you cool them and you have them like in a potato salad, they're very high in resistant starch. Resistant starch is the favorite food. Actually, it's the necessary food, not, not just the favorite food, but it is the necessary food that feeds the healthy bacteria in your intestines. And these bacteria, um, they produce vitamins for you, like lots of B vitamins, for example. Um, they prevent unhealthy bacteria from colonizing your gut, which get into your gut and release a lot of inflammatory compounds. Um, and they, um, the healthy bacteria keep you know, populations of the unhealthy ones down. And they produce, um, they also produce compounds that help the lining of your intestines stay intact because when it's not intact you know anything that comes into your digestive tract and we're consuming all kinds of things with our food um and some of it isn't friendly okay so anything that comes into your digestive tract 
if your digestive tract um, isn't healthy, if the lining isn't really firmly intact, but they call it leaky gut, anything that comes into your digestive tract can then gain access to your general circulation and it goes throughout your body causing inflammation wherever it goes. So when it when it um, ends up near your bones, your osteoclasts get activated. When it ends up in your mouth, you know, you're, it, it's like a, um, it's almost like an infection. Your body produces biofilms to, and coats your teeth with these biofilms. And the biofilms um, end up having inflammatory things inside them that then release these compounds called lipopolysaccharides, which are highly inflammatory. And this is constantly going on. So um, I forget exactly what your question, oh, resistant starch. So resistant starch will help short circuit, circuit that whole process. It will keep your, your microbiome healthy, you know, the healthy bacteria fed so that they can protect you and produce the, the healthful compounds, um, including short chain fatty acids. I don't know if the, our audience is familiar with those, but short chain fatty acids are one of the compounds produced by healthy gut bacteria. And they are highly protective. They're anti-inflammatory. Um, they protect the, wherever they go, they also get into the circulation and they protect whatever tissue they end up uh, interacting with. So um, resistant starch is really important for us. You talked about the, your system and things getting into your system outside of your digestive tract where they don't belong. What role does black pepper play? Because I was under the impression that it was not good, that it made your digestive system more permeable than it should be. But there seems to be some controversy around that. Would you tell us about that? Yeah, I um, I have not heard that uh, black pepper. So what, what black pepper does is it helps, it improves your absorption of um, phytonutrients and it improves your absorption of uh, vitamins and, and minerals and things. I, I have not heard it, um, I have not heard it said to be uh, damaging. I, I've heard the contrary, you know, physiologically. So they put, um, one example is, I don't know if you're familiar with uh, the spiced curcumin from, well, it's the active in curcumin. I mean, I'm sorry. Turmeric. Spiced turmeric, right? The active in it is called curcumin. And curcumin is not well absorbed. And so one of the ways that um, in, in some supplements, they combine it with uh, piperine, which is the active compound in black pepper. And that helps improve the body's ability to absorb um, curcumin. So that that is what I know about black pepper. I um, I can look later and get back to you, but I have not seen research suggesting that it's harmful. I thought I had come across from a fairly credible source um, to stay away from black pepper. Uh, but if you do find something, let us know. Yeah, I, I would want to look at the... Do they cite a study or a, you know, what I usually look, look for when um, somebody, when I see a claim that, you know, that doesn't, um, doesn't fit what I know, then I want to see what research was, uh, was used to make that, to support that claim. Black, here, okay, I'm on PubMed now looking at black pepper and health. Um, it's an important healthy food owing to its antioxidant and antimicrobial 
effects. Um, it's they consider it a functional food. Piperine is the active ingredient. Uh, yeah. So let's see. Here's a. This is the newest paper I could find on it. Um, Critical Reviews of Food Science and Nutrition, uh, 2013. Okay. Oh, interestingly, piperine is found in breast milk. Huh. So it must be good for us somehow, or I don't think it would be something that was in breast milk, you know, which is transmitted to infants. Well, the concept was that black pepper makes your gut more permeable, significantly more permeable, which would explain why you would absorb the curcumin better. But that the side effect of that was that a lot of microbes that didn't belong outside your digestive system were making their way into your bloodstream. Right. Okay. Let me look, try leaky gut and see if I get anything. No, nothing on that. Okay. Uh, let me try adverse effects and see what we can get. Diverse, let's see, here's the latest paper, 2021, review of its biological effects, uh, frequently used for medicinal preservation, uh, contains 2 to 7.4% of piperine, um, which is anti-proliferative, anti-tumor, anti-angiogenesis, antioxidant, anti-diabetic, anti-diabesity, cardioprotective, antimicrobial, anti-aging, and modulatory effects. Um, is what this latest review shows. So I, I am not seeing um, I am not seeing that assertion verified on PubMed. I'm guessing there's not a lot of money in studies of black pepper, but um, it's <laughs> probably not. This is uh, this paper was published in Phytotherapy Research, February 2021. Okay, thank well, you. When, when we get done, I will read the entire paper and see if I can find anything on. Uh, that, you know, adverse effects. What can you tell us about the gums, the xanthan gum and the guar gum and the carrageenan that we so often see in many of the products these days? Um, I am not sure about those. Uh, I I know that um, in, in xylitol, you know, which is a... a sweetener, um, a non-caloric sweetener in chewing gum is pr protective. It helps pr prevent uh, dental caries. But I don't know about xanthan with, with periodontal disease. I don't know. You mentioned the standard American diet and the description reminds me a great deal of another concept that is has come into the picture, which is ultra processed foods. Oh right. Yeah. Foods that are that are not really foods is what many of the proponents say is essentially, as I understand it, anything that is not in your kitchen should not be in what you're consuming when you buy packaged foods or foods from outside your home. Right. And so um, the average person, as far as I know, doesn't have xanthan or guar gum in their kitchen cabinet. Well, I, I think based on your description that the SAD diet and the ultra-processed food diet may be the same or very similar, which is why I was asking 
was yeah. there a relationship between those and bone loss and periodontal disease? And it sounds like maybe we don't know yet. I don't, you know, that's a, a grass, like generally recognized as safe um, additive. I'm just looking here and I'm not seeing anything on PubMed about it being harmful, but, you know, ultra processed foods are definitely harmful. And it's not because they, I don't think guar gum is the primary reason why. I mean, ultra processed foods are, they really spike blood sugar. They, they provide no resistant starch or fiber. Um, they have, uh, often they have, um, BHA, which is, a, or BHT, which is a, uh, supposedly an antioxidant that's added to lots of products to, you know, maintain their shelf life, which we now know is an endocrine disruptor and a carcinogen. Um, and then also, you know, bis bisphenols, these things are all wrapped in plastic and the compounds in the plastic migrate into the food. And then you consume the plasticizers, the bisphenols, which are, have also clearly been shown to cause endocrine disruption, inflammation, cancer, and on and on. But, um, you know, basically the highly processed foods uh, are just highly refined starch, primarily, and fat and salt and chemicals. And um, there's dozens of, of chemical additives. At, you know, they add chemicals to make it taste like something, um, but they're extremely unhealthy. So I don't think it's necessarily guar gum that's that's the biggest issue. I think it's the the highly refined um, carbohydrates which then spike blood sugar and cause a lot of problems that way. What signs can our listeners look for if they're listening to our conversation and thinking, "Oh my goodness, do I have osteoporosis?" Oh, do I have periodontal disease? Or if they know that they have one, are they, should they be concerned that they might have the other? What signs should they look for in themselves? Okay. Yeah, they're actually telling dentists now if someone um, has uh, periodontal issues that they should be checked for osteoporosis because the two very often go together. I mean, they're driven by the same basic underlying function, you know, the, the chronic inflammation. And um, if someone's bones in the mouth are being uh, destroyed, then chances are their bones elsewhere are having problems and vice versa. If someone has osteoporosis, their chances of developing uh, periodontal disease are also greatly increased. And um, I think even cardiovascular disease. I mean, if anyone has cardiovascular disease, uh, it is really important that they, you know, they, they, when they see their dentist, they, they have their gum health checked. And also it's a good idea to have a DEXA run and make sure your bone health is, is okay. This increase in the number of people who are losing all their teeth, they're having their entire mouth replaced with prosthetics or who are having bone grafting is this a diagnostic improvement that they are better able to identify what it is in the case of grafting is this an improvement in technology that they now have prosthetics that are 
more affordable or technology that didn't used to be available? What do you think is it's playing a role here? Um, okay, so all the all the non-communicable diseases have increased in our population greatly. Um, our genetics have not changed, but all these diseases, every single one of them. So I don't think in terms of improvements in technology, you know, it, it's wonderful if um, they can now do a bone graft to help uh, delay some of what's going on. But if people continue to eat the same, you know, diet, that if they're not getting the nutrients they need, um, and, and in addition to um, the nutrients in our foods, typically vitamin D insufficiency is a big problem for many people. That that contributes to uh, bone loss as well in the mouth and in the skeleton. If people continue to eat the same uh, diet that they've been eating that's been causing these problems and they have a bone graft, it's not going to end the problem. I mean, you have to deal with you have to go upstream and deal with the causes of your health concerns, not try to just patch it up, you know, with a with a drug or with a bone graft or whatever. You have to stop having the situation in your body that is causing the production of biofilms in your mouth that are trapping these unfriendly organisms that are then releasing, you know, inflammatory compounds that are destroying your mouth. So it, it's um. I think we have become better and better and better at telling people that they're ill and telling people that systems in their bodies are not working properly. We have not become better at correcting the underlying reasons for that. In fact, you know, although people are told um, even the, the diet, you know, the dietary recommendations for Americans, the, the my plate recommendations, People are not following those. People are not preparing their own food. Uh, pe most people do not eat organically grown food, which is far higher in nutrients and does not contain many of the uh, pesticide residues and the, the toxic chemicals and uh, all the adverse compounds that come along with conventionally grown food. People are not doing that. Um, they are buying things that are already prepared and wrapped in plastic, you know? so. It's my opinion that um, while these, these new things that we're doing that try to help mitigate some of the adverse effects that are occurring will, will help some, they're not going to correct the problem. To do that, you have to go to the source. And that's what you're putting in your mouth. If I'm hearing you correctly, you're saying that if you change the way you eat, if you change what you eat, that you can address depending on how soon you do that in your life or before the diseases take over you can prevent or address these conditions that we're discussing just by Ab changing absolutely yeah absolutely i mean that's the title of my latest book healthy bones healthy you um kind of says it all if you eat properly your bone your, and you provide your bones with the nutrients that they have to have to renew and rebuild and you stop providing them with things that cause lots of inflammation in your body okay if you eat an anti-inflammatory you know mediterranean type diet a primarily whole foods diet that you are preparing at home so you know how much salt is going into it 
and you know how much uh, of the fats are going into it and what fats are being used. Like, is it olive oil, which is a healthy monounsaturated fat, or is it a saturated fat, or is it a really unhealthy trans fat? Um, you know, you know when you prepare, when you buy real food that is minimally processed and you prepare it for yourself at home, you know what's in it. And it's within weeks you can start to shift it around. I mean, your body will respond very quickly when the pro-inflammatory things stop coming in. You know, your, your body will reboot very quickly. And um, I have seen people with significant osteoporosis just by eating properly and taking a few supplemental vitamins um, and minerals, which, you know, are no longer in the conventional food supply anymore, just doing that, I have seen people reverse their osteoporosis, gain 10, 12, 14% of new bone in, in 12 months. So it's totally doable. I've seen it in thousands of people that I've worked with over the last uh, 15 years now. And um, on the AlgaCal community where I'm the bone health expert, I see people's DEXAs, you know, they send me their DEXA results before they start eating properly, um, getting some regular exercise, trying to get decent sleep and so forth. And six months later, um, I see their, their, their um, you can have your bone, your bone density checked before you have to wait like two years to do a new DEXA, but you can have your bone turnover markers checked. It's a simple blood test within six months. And I've seen huge changes in people. But the main thing that I hear from them is how much better they feel. I mean, they, they just can't believe what a difference it makes to just simply try to eat real food. What about these people who are told by their doctors that they need to take a prescription medication? Or in one case that I know of recently, where she was told that the pill was no longer working and she's now taking, I think it's an injection twice a year that it's much more powerful. And that's all that she has to do. How is that well, possible? Just, that's the same thing as, you know, if you keep, if you don't deal with the reasons why you are losing bone, whether it's in your mouth or your skeleton, you know, other parts of your skeleton, and you just keep doing the same thing. So what the, what the bone drugs do is, um, and the injectable one, I'm sure it is a bisphosphonate. Okay, and the bisphosphonates uh, become part of your bones and they poison osteoclasts, which are the, the cells that break down old, brittle, crummy bone that needs to be replaced. So you retain that bone and it looks like your bone mass is, you know, not lessening anymore, but the bone that you have is bad. And so you step off a curb and your hip breaks, you know. I mean, these are called fragility fractures. And actually, there's even a special term that they use when someone is taking a bisphosphonate and they have a hip fracture. It's called an atypical femur fracture. They're not atypical for people on bisphosphonates. They're quite typical. And the reason that they happen is that the bone that has become you know, more fragile and, and uh, brittle is not able to be replaced. You can't form new bone when until you take out, you know, it's like the trash, 
You have to empty your garbage can before you can put new trash in there. You have to empty, clear out old crummy bone before you can rebuild new bone. There's no place for it. And also osteoclasts and osteoblasts, the, the cells that form new bone, work together. They're not totally separated. They, um, in your bones, whether it's your jawbone in your mouth, okay, or your hip bone or your femur or wherever, these uh, two types of bone cells are in these tiny little units called um, specialized uh, bone units, SPMs, specialized uh, specialized I'm trying I, I sorry I'm so used to seeing the abbreviation I can't remember how it spells you know what what the full thing of it is but they're these tiny little units and there's thousands of them and they contain both osteoblasts and osteoclasts and they go they're in your bones okay and together first the osteoclasts work and they remove the crummy bone and when they're doing that there, there are all kinds of factors stored inside your bone tissue, uh, nutrient factors, growth factors that you're that then when those are released, that is what attracts your osteoblasts. So then they come to that site and they start building new bone for you. But if you don't release that stuff, if the osteoclasts don't work, the osteoblasts don't get activated. So it's, um, it really is a team effort. And the bone drugs poison osteoclasts. So they short circuit this whole natural process. Does that affect your mouth? Absolutely. Yeah, the same thing is going on in your mouth. And, and also in your mouth, um, that's one of the reasons that many dentists uh, talk to their patients and they ask them, are you taking one of these bone drugs? Because if they, if you are, then your risk for it's called osteonecrosis of the jaw, where your jawbone just rots because it can't rebuild. And dentists want to know if if a patient is taking one of those because they they are at much higher risk of having problems from any kind of you know dental surgery or dental treatment. Their their bones their jawbone won't won't rebuild normally. It can't. You talk in your books about the importance of, in addition to nutrition, exercising so that your bones build stronger bones, so that your body rather builds stronger bones. Is that right? Uh, yes, absolutely. So when you exercise, um, you have, they're called mechanosensors. There's a type of cell, actually they're the most abundant cell in your bones. They're called osteocytes, and they are mechanosensors. And when you exercise, uh, your the muscles um, put stress on your bones, and that wakes up your osteocytes, and then they start the process of the osteoclasts and osteoblasts. They, they send signals to those little units in your bones um, and activate that whole process to start. So when you're not exercising, that's not happening. And, um, and in your mouth, you know, every time you chew, like that's like exercise for your mouth. You're stimulating all of that to, to happen for you. And you also are creating tiny little stress fractures in your jawbone that need to be replaced. So if you're taking one of the drugs that prevents, you know, osteoclasts from doing anything, 
those little tiny fractures in your mouth are not going to be replaced. That's why people develop osteonecrosis of the jaw. Their jaw can't renew. That sounds just terrifying. It, it, it's grotesque. Um, it really is. Like the drugs are not the answer. They do not deal with the underlying causes of why someone is losing bone. And those really have to do with, you know, not getting the nutrients that your bones need, um, whether in your skeleton or your mouth. Uh, a big one is vitamin D, you know, not enough calcium, not enough magnesium, not enough trace minerals. Uh, vitamin A is also really important. Um, vitamin A is highly anti-inflammatory. It activates, um, so the, uh, the um, cytokines, you know, the messengers that, that promote inflammation in the body, one of the key ones is um, IL-6. And it's counterbalanced by another one that's anti-inflammatory called IL-10. Vitamin A activates IL-10. Vitamin A causes, you know, it's called uh, immune tolerance so that your immune system doesn't get hyperactive and doesn't get too inflammatory. Vitamin A helps that process of not having too much inflammation. And people are not, not you know, vitamin A, uh, the really good source of it is liver. Who eats liver nowadays? Nobody. And you're supposed to be able to get vitamin A from um, beta carotene, you know, like in, in carrots and orange vegetables. About 80% of us um, do a very poor job of converting beta carotene into vitamin A. And so vitamin A insufficiency is extremely common. Vitamin A and vitamin D work together to promote healthy bone renewal. Um, and if you don't have them around, and many of us don't, you know, that, that's a big problem. So um, where do you get, if you're not converting the beta carotene into vitamin A efficiently in your body, and you're not eating liver, where do you source your vitamin A? You take it as a supplement. You get and what's the source? What's mm -hmm. the source of that? You know, I'm not sure. I think it's I think it's synthetically created in the lab to be identical to uh, retinoic acid. I don't. I don't think it's derived from a from a food. Just like vitamin E, vitamin D is synthetically created in the lab from cholesterol. Right. So. Um, but it's important to take vitamin D and vitamin A work together. It's really important that what, what they do is they join up and they form what's called a heterodimer. And it goes into the nucleus in your cells. And it activates literally the thousands and thousands of genes that then make your body run properly for you. Um, if you only have one of them on board, you know, it will attach, but it's not going to activate everything in the same you know, properly balanced, um, optimally effective fashion. So it is really important to have um, a balanced, you know, about comparable amounts of vitamin A and vitamin D um, in your system. So uh, personally, you know, I, I have, the, I inherited the world's unhappiest genetics. I have every possible, I don't convert beta carotene to vitamin A. It's one of dozens of things that my body doesn't do very well for me. So I make sure that I take supplemental vitamin A and I take it in an amount comparable to the amount of vitamin D um, that I need to uh, have my blood levels of vitamin D be in the range of 50 to 80 nanograms per ml. That's a, you know, a blood test. 
you can have done to check your blood levels of vitamin D. And I want to make sure that I'm providing enough vitamin A for the amount of vitamin D I need um, to have healthy blood levels. And then I know that they're working together for me. You mentioned in the book that for vitamin D, you have to be in a certain latitude in order for your body to be able to synthesize the vitamin D from sun exposure, if I'm understood correctly. Correct. Yeah. Um, in, in Florida, where you are, you, you get more, you know, you're more able to make vitamin D for a longer t- duration of the year. But people who live north, more north, um, when, even when the sun comes in, you know, a, a sunny day, the UVB, the, the rays um, are not at the frequency that's necessary to convert cholesterol, you know, to start that process of um, cholesterol being converted into vitamin D in your skin. So for about six or seven months out of the year, you really can't produce much vitamin D in your skin um, in the northern latitudes. It's, it's a little better where you are, although still, um, you know, people nowadays, even an SPF sunscreen, you know, of, of SPF of eight, you won't produce any vitamin D. It'll, it'll block it. I just heard recently from an eye expert, eye health expert, vision expert, I'm, I'm not sure what the official title is, that we are producing vitamin D in our eyes in addition to our skin. Have you heard about oh. that? Uh, that does not surprise me because we do have uh, cholesterol, you know, in, in our bodies, like it's traveling throughout our bodies. People think cholesterol is horrible, but um, without it, we would stop functioning very quickly. Um, so uh, I think that would be possible, light entering your eye. Exactly. Um, that's, would, what, that's what she says. Yeah, yeah I, that, that makes sense. I doubt that it's, put it this way, Elena, I would not want to rely on that as my, as my only source of vitamin D. You know, and now we can, there's, there's many foods that are fortified with vitamin D that helps. Um, most people, however, need about 5,000 IU of vitamin D3 daily. And um, it's really very hard to get that from food um, for many reasons. Uh, there are a bunch of um, single nucleotide polymorphisms that interfere with our ability to produce vitamin D from sun, you know, in our bodies from, from sun. And um, I, I would want to just run the blood test. I mean, my best advice and what I do for any patient that I'm working with is I make sure that we get their blood checked so that we see what their vitamin D status is. And then we, we see if they need to take some supplemental vitamin D and how much. Let's go back to the exercise for your mouth aspect. Um, we're not talking about lifting weights with your teeth, but <laughs> no. you, you, did, you, do, you are saying that you should be consuming foods that make your teeth and your jaw, your whole buccal system work. Would you tell us a little bit about that? Sure. Well, again, that, you know, that kind of ties in with, with uh, the foods that are rich in resistant starch. You have to chew them. Um, you know, they're not just soft foods that kind of melt in your mouth and you don't have to do anything um, to uh, process them in your mouth. Also, when you chew, 
you 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 activate your salivary glands, which then release you know the first bit of enzymes that start digesting your food for you. So I think it's um, whole foods. You're going to need to chew. You know they're they're not um, they're not ground up for you. Like you can you can take a piece of refined bread, you know, bread made from refined flour, and put it in your mouth. It'll dissolve. You don't have to chew it. You know, or a potato chip. Right? You let it sit in your mouth for a minute. It will just dissolve. You don't have to really do anything. Would the same to, thing happen with a potato? Uh, yes, to some extent, although potatoes do contain, when they're cooled particularly, they do provide some resistant starch. But, um, you know, you, you could compare that to like eating a carrot stick. You have to work at that or an apple or nuts, you know. So you want something that, that your, your body has to, you know, you have to masticate to break it down enough for you to swallow easily without choking. Is there like a minimum number? I've heard people say that you should chew your food like 50 times per every mouthful to make sure that it's completely broken down. Is that about the digestive process or is that about exercising your teeth? Probably all of it. Um, you know, I don't, I don't know whether it's 50 times, but you, I think sometimes people were so rushed and people are, you know, eating in their car, driving somewhere, or, um, you know, they have 15 minutes for lunch and they just inhale whatever it is that they're eating and they're hardly even chewing it. I mean, for one thing, uh, there's a whole, um, there's a whole new focus on what's called mindful eating. So that because one of the reasons that people um, seem to be, you know, more and more people in the U.S. seem to be overweight or frankly obese now um, is that we just consume too many calories. And if you eat slowly, OK, not only do you, you know, and chew your food well, um, you really get to taste it and your and your body will let you know, you know, hey, I, you know, I'm, I'm satiated. I've had enough food. Whereas if you just eat really quickly, you send food down to your stomach that hasn't even been prepared to get there. It makes it a lot harder for your body to digest it. And um, and you're not going to be you're not going to feel satiated until you've consumed probably more than you need. So it's a really good idea to chew well. Where do probiotics come into the picture? You're a big believer in probiotics, right? Oh, yeah. So, so probiotics, um, resistant starch feeds probiotics. Okay, the probiotics are the healthy bacteria that live in your digestive tract, um, primarily in your colon. They're not, they're not really, you're not supposed to have a lot of bacteria in your small intestine. Um, people that do, uh, there's a condition, that, <clears throat> excuse me, associated with that called small intestinal uh, bacterial overgrowth that causes, you know, lots of unhappiness for people, digestive problems. Uh, bloating, gas, and all of that. So the majority of the healthy microbiome lives in your colon. And as the food gets the, the as particularly resistant starch, that's what feeds these organisms. And they uh, prevent unhealthy organisms from growing there. They produce lots of vitamins for you, um, but probably 
I forget the exact percentage, but it's a it's a pretty significant percentage of B vitamins that you need your body needs every day to function um, are produced by healthy bacteria that live in your intestines. They um, keep your gut gut lining intact so that unhealthy things and inflammatory things don't open up your gut lining so that you know poorly digested food, uh, viruses, bacteria that you don't want, you know unhealthy bacteria. Um, any of that can get access to your system and cause problems for you. Um, and I think th those are the main things that um, we're also finding that the the gut lining, okay, the a, a huge part of your um, immune system is concentrated around your your gut. Uh, they call it, you know, they it, sometimes they even refer to it as kind of the second brain because that um, immune system is connected to your brain's immune system. And um, when, you, when your gut is healthy, okay, you're, you're also uh, sending messages to your immune system to not be hyperactive and to your brain you know, to be functioning properly and to your, all your endocrine system. I mean, you, the, the gut and the um it's called in the in the brain the um hpa axis hypopituitary axis in your brain communicate together and then all kinds of things happen that either keep you healthy or you know disrupt the way that your body is functioning it's really really important to have um you know a healthy gut lining there are there are uh, components of your microbiome that that produce um, that produce uh, how to explain this? They kind of produce a, a mucus that then coats the lining of your gut that protects it, so that things bad things can't get in. Uh, there, there's an organism called uh, municophilia, which means mucus loving, that specifically does that for you. It's it's just one of you know literally hundreds of healthy bacteria in your gut that support your, your digestive system in many, many ways. And when you say microbiome, you're talking about the microbes, the tiny creatures that live right. in our digestive system. Is that a good description? Right. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yes. When you refer to probiotics, are we talking uh, yogurts? Are we talking about fermented foods? Does it have to be pills? Well, you can kind of you know, it depends. Um, it depends how how well someone is to begin with, but um, you can do it all. You know, I think it's really important for people to eat fermented foods every day. Yogurts, you know, if you if you um, if you can, like dairy, you know, yogurt from um, pastured cows, you know, healthy cows. Okay, organic yogurt from pastured cows will have a lot of healthy probiotics in it. Uh, you, you can also get cottage cheese that has them, um, or if you're reacting to dairy products, you can get coconut yogurt, you can drink kefir, um, you can do uh, pickles are a good source of probiotic uh, organisms, um, you know, any kind of fermented food, sourdough bread, if you can get, if you, if you don't react to wheat, many people react to wheat and it's inflammatory for them and damages their intestinal lining, but if you are okay with wheat and it's not a problem for you, then sourdough bread um, has probiotics in it. Um, it's really healthy for you. 
What do you think about unpasteurized dairy? You know, I've seen recently um, more papers coming out on um, alert a couple of weeks ago that um, that there there were problems with it. If you decide to use unpasteurized dairy, I would make sure that it was, uh, you know, from a from a dairy farm where you really trusted the cleanliness of the operation. Um, I, I would be concerned about it, and I would not give it to either really young children or anyone who is immunocompromised. Let's talk about inflammation just for a little bit again. When we talked about the uh, osteoporosis, you know, all, all of the different diseases that we've talked about, periodontal disease, cardiovascular disease, Alzheimer's, diabetes, one that is perhaps not life-threatening, but is certainly quality of life affecting, is arthritis. Where does that come into our conversation? And does it have an impact on periodontal disease, osteoporosis? Are they linked? Sure. It's the, I mean, if you think about this, it's, it's a one-stop shop. You know, it's so, so for most people, uh, what promotes arthritis is they are eating something that either they're not digesting it fully. So, you know, fragments get into their intestines that then get, get absorbed um, that cause inflammation. Okay. So because the proteins or whatever are not properly digested fully, or because it's some kind of, it has some kind of protein in it that the body reacts to, or some other compound in it that, that the immune system sees as a potential pathogen. And so the immune system gets activated. Now, uh, there are, let's see, for people who have arthritis, I'm looking, looking at the book, let's see, Healing Arthritis, Susan Blum, Dr. Susan Blum has an excellent book um, on reversing arthritis. It's called Healing Arthritis. Uh, she's an MD, Dr. Susan Blum, B-L-U-M. And basically, um, if you have arthritis, you want to look at everything that you're eating. And you want to really support healthy digestion so um, so that you are not, you know, sending anything down into your digestive tract that is likely to cause inflammation, cause a leaky gut, cause compounds to get into your circulation. Once they get into your circulation, they go everywhere, including your joints. And your joints will react. Uh, the typical foods that cause problems for people, wheat is a really big one. Many, many people react to not just the, cassi the uh, gluten in wheat, but there's, um, there's a bunch of other compounds that are also in wheat protein that cause inflammation in many people. And that, you, can, you consume that, it causes your gut to open up you know, because of inflammation that's produced, and then it gets into your bloodstream, and then it goes to your joints, and then you get arthritis. So I was just speaking with someone Top of, that's partly why it's top of mind, who is telling me that she was going to go somewhere where it was cold. And as a result, her arthritis, she was expecting, was going to act up. But it's not a problem for her when she's in Florida. Is hmm. that the same with other conditions where you're less likely to be affected in relation to that condition, arthritis, periodontal disease, osteoporosis, in warmer climates? Hmm, that's really interesting. Um, trying to think of why a colder climate 
would be would be better. No, I mean, the opposite would be, worse, it would, be... Would, be, would make it worse. You know, I guess you're in a warmer climate, you're more likely to be um, your blood flow is probably, you know, not constricted in your limbs and things like it's, you know, when it's cold, um, we don't we're not exercising as much outside and we're not moving around um, outside as much. And so uh, I would think our circulation might not be as good, but um, what I've heard more about people moving from, you know, moist, hot climates to drier climates to get away from mold and, you know, some envi environmental toxins. Like people um, go to uh, um, Arizona and feel like some things improve for them because it's dry. But um, I know in Florida, you have problems with mold, which is certainly an issue for many people. Mold, um, mold spores give off all kinds of toxic things that um, can be huge problems for people because you breathe that in and it goes right from your lungs into your general circulation. But I don't know, I don't know why cold would, um, the only thing I can think of is that circula her circulation might not be as good in a colder climate. Interesting. What do you think about the relationship between sleep and your digestive system and inflammation? Is there a link? Oh, there's a there's a huge link. Yeah. Um, they've done studies with people, uh, you know, young, healthy people, and they even for a few days, if they disrupt their sleep, all kinds of things start to go wrong. Um, again, the HPA axis in the brain uh, gets all out of whack, and when you're when you're and that affects all your endocrine system. You know your 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 thyroid, um, your many many org organs get affected when your end endocrine system isn't working properly. But um, just thinking about how to say this. Uh, when, when you don't get sleep, okay, you're, so in your brain, you have, a, you have a section called the charismatic nucleus, and that is where the master clock for your body lives. Um, so that you have, are you familiar with the concept of circadian rhythms? You know, how our bodies work certain at, at times of the day, like we, you know, we, supposedly wake up in the morning and then we get sleepy at night. You know, that's a major circadian rhythm. Um, there yes. are times when our digestion is more effective uh, at certain times during the day than other times. That's a circadian rhythm. Pretty much every cell in your body has its own little circadian clocks. And when and they there is they're supposed to run um, in response to the charismatic nucleus first, but then in each section of your body, you have these little clocks that run and there's, they run when we're supposed to be attuned to the environment. Um, you know, the, the, the light and night uh, cycles of, you know, daytime and nighttime are huge ones. Um, and when we, when we mess those up, um, it, it messes up a lot of other things for us. So sleep, Sleep is really important. I'm sure, you know, anybody listening to this has experienced if they really got a very poor night's sleep, then the next day they're they're not going to feel as well. And if that continues, 
um, you know, it, it, it causes huge problems for people. Your, your body just will not work appropriately. To the extent that it is contributing or exacerbating the inflammation and periodontal disease, osteoporosis, et cetera, et cetera? Absolutely. One, one of the things that, um, you know, it, poor sleep does is it raises cortisol levels. So cortisol levels is, you know, your fight or flight hormone. And it's only supposed to be elevated in short bursts when you, you know, when you need to get away from a tiger or, you know, in our modern society, unfortunately, um, I think our cortisol is chronically elevated and it's, that is causing lots of problems for people. But poor sleep um, definitely drives cortisol and, and causes it to be chronically elevated. Um, so does a high fat diet. So does uh, a diet that contains soup too much sodium. So does a diet that contains lots of refined starches. All of those things cause your cortisol levels to go up. And when they are chronically elevated, that causes bone loss. Um, it'll cause bone loss in your mouth as well as in your skeleton um, and many, many other problems. Adrenal exhaustion, you know, I mean, one of the main reasons that people go in to see their doctors is relentless fatigue. Elevated cortisol will cause that. And not getting appropriate sleep will cause cortisol to be elevated. If I'm hearing you correctly, all of these are interconnected as if it was all one system, meaning the body. If you're not sleeping well, it impacts your inflammation, it impacts your digestive system, it impacts, aggravates any conditions that you have, arthritis, periodontal disease, osteoporosis, cardiovascular disease. We didn't have a lot of time to talk about Alzheimer's and diabetes, but I'm hearing you say that they're also affected. Is that right? Oh yeah, it's the it is the same central mechanism that's doing it all. And so what what people you know people we need we need to eat real food. Um, we need to do it in a relaxed manner, you know, as relaxed as possible. We need to get regular weight bearing exercise. We need to get about eight hours of sleep a night. Um, for most of us. I don't know how it is for you, but as I've gotten older, um, I don't sleep straight through the night. I usually wake up at least once in the middle of the night to go, you know, use the bathroom. Um, but overall, you want to try to get about seven to eight hours of sleep a night. It's best to get that sleep, uh, you know, go to bed by like about 10 o'clock and get up around six. Um, and you should have, you should Stop eating about three hours before you go to sleep, you know, and not eat all your food late in the day, because then when you're sleeping, your body is, is busy dealing with all that food that you ate and it can't do repair work, which is what we do when we're sleeping. We we do all our, our body does its housekeeping repair jobs at night. And if it's being pulled aside, if all its energy is being pulled aside to deal with, you know, the huge snack that you had at 10 o'clock at night. Um, it's not going to be available to do the repair work that it needs to do. But I mean, these are, you know, I think these things make sense to most people, like eat real food. Don't, don't be sitting all the time, you know, use your body. We're, our bodies were built to be used. And if we don't use them, uh, they deteriorate. 
and um, you know get get some decent sleep. And another really important thing is um, you know which may sound like it's not related to periodontal disease or osteoporosis, but but it really is. Um, care about you know have good relationships with your family and your loved ones, and um, have a purpose in your life. You know something that that calls you and makes your life meaningful. These things affect the thoughts in your brain and your brain. They have a whole new emphasis now on psychoneuroimmunology. You know, I was just at a conference this past week on neuroimmunology, discussing all the relationships between, you know, brain function and immune function and uh, loving relationships, you know, supportive relationships do cause different things to happen in your brain and they're good, good things. And it, it, it all works together to uh, provide you with a long and healthy life. I, I've just been watching, um, I, I think it's on Netflix, um, that some of our audience might be interested in listening to, you know, the um, How to Live to be 100. It's uh, a, a man went to the different blue zones and he where there's many, many centenarians. And he looked to see what they had you know, what these people were doing that was helping them to live um, a healthy life with beautiful teeth, okay, until they were over 100 years old and still be functional. And really, it's just um, a Mediterranean, you know, type diet, whole foods, preparing your own food, uh, having good relationships with your family um, and, you know, work or your friends and uh, eating together and so that you eat mindfully and enjoy your food. Um, and getting uh, getting up early and working, you know, doing some kind of physical activity during the day, and uh, relaxing in the in the early evening, and going getting good sleep. You know, these things are. I can recommend a couple of supplements for people. We can end with that because I know in our society nowadays, uh, what everybody wants is a magic pill, and there are you know a, there are a few pills I do recommend now because our food supply is so depleted. But um, the basics of a healthy life really can't be put in a bottle. And we all know what they are. Where can our listeners gain further knowledge about this topic? Specifically, we've covered a lot of ground here, but specifically periodontal disease and osteoporosis and how they're linked. I don't know. I don't remember off the top of my head. There was a lot in your book. Did you have a section where you address that? I, I don't have a section in Healthy Bones, Healthy You where I specifically talk about periodontal disease, but all the information. So um, in Healthy Bones, Healthy You, the first section of the book discusses all the things going on in our modern world, um, primarily with, with our food um, and then environmental toxin exposures most of which can be avoided, okay? But the things that drive bone loss, whether it's happening in your mouth or your, or your skeleton. I mean, your, your jaw is, is part of your bones. It's not a separate entity, okay? So the first part of my book discusses what causes problems for us, what's causing chronic inflammation, what's driving you know, things to not work properly. And then the, the next part of, of the book talks about the nutrients that you have to have, that your bones have to have 
to be able to renew themselves. And the, the foods that and what they do, what each of these nutrients does for you, how it works, what foods it's in, you know, um, if you're going to take a supplement, what type of supplement you should look for and what the dosage is that you should be trying to get um, of that nutrient. And uh, and then I also have a chapter on um, a healthy diet. You know, what, what are the basic things of a healthy diet? And then I have a section on lab work where um, I talk about the lab tests that can be run to determine where something is off in your body. Like what's, what's the big principal driver for you? You know, is it your digestive system? Okay. Is it your kidneys that, that aren't working quite, quite properly? Um, is it your genetics? You know, I mean, there's, I have tests that are you deficient in some nutrient, which one, you know? So I have lab tests that you can discuss with your doctor um, and have run to help you identify where you are having a problem so you can correct it. Um, for anybody who has periodontal disease, I urge you to please get your vitamin D levels checked. It's a simple blood draw. Um, if your vitamin D levels are low, that is going to really contribute. If you're consuming a diet with far too much sodium in it, you know, too much processed foods all contain lots of sodium. And when you go out to eat at a restaurant, they use lots of sodium in the preparation of the food. If you're getting too much sodium, uh, that will cause periodontal disease. So those are, you know, two things I think you should check just just, just off the top. Um, but my book, um, I would recommend my latest book. I worked very hard for about 10 years to summarize everything um, and update it with the absolute latest research. So it's science-based, trustworthy information that will help people determine what, where their body is off and what to do about it, you know, you healthily, about, not, not drugs. Hmm? You were talking about supplements a minute ago. And again, my head is on the, the arthritis issue. What do you think about glucosamine? Is that something that it's good for bone health or for inflammation? Um, yes, glucosamine can be helpful. Okay. It is one of the compounds that is used in your joints to, um, you know, support proper joint uh, tissue and joint function. But again, if you, you know, if you do not correct the, the reasons why your joints are inflamed, um, it is not going to, it's not going to fix the problem. Um, another compound that should be considered um, as an adjunct, okay, is boron. It's a trace mineral. And there have been quite a few studies in which boron has been used at a dose of six milligrams a day and has really helped with osteoarthritis. Um, I have not seen research on its use in rheumatoid arthritis, but at least in osteoarthritis, boron, um, boron is very helpful. Um, if you go on PubMed, uh, one of my papers that's up on PubMed is um, on boron. You can put my name, Pizorno, in and boron, and you will see a paper called Nothing Boring About Boron, um, in which I discuss all the ways that boron supports bone health. Um, and it is a full, it's on, uh, it's PubMed, but it's full free access on PubMed. There are some, you know, articles that are available to anyone to read in full on PubMed, and that is one of them. 
So I would recommend that, but the dosage used is uh, six milligrams a day in most of those studies. It occurs to me as we're talking about all of the effects of inflammation and the SAD diet, the ultra-processed food diet on your body, does it affect your senses, your vision, your hearing? Are they impacted? I'm not sure about hearing. I would I would assume so because you, you know, it, it, your body's all one piece, okay? If you're chronically inflamed, if your cortisol levels are chronically up, um, that is going to be affecting everything, not just one area. Um, what I've seen most for hearing is that some people, as they age, you know, our hormone production drops um, a number of hormones, and one of them is aldosterone. And I've seen some very interesting research on the use of aldosterone to help uh, restore hearing. So those of our listeners that are having hearing issues might ask their doctors about that, about aldosterone. But the, you know, the real takeaway message from all of this is to look at look at what you're eating, okay? And look at your sleep and your exercise and try to do the things that you know promote health. You know, try to eat real food, um, try to get regular weight-bearing exercise uh, about 45 minutes to an hour every day, okay? And try to get decent sleep and try not to eat most of your calories late in the day, in, in the evening. Give your body a chance to clean itself up and renew at night instead of having to digest you know, a heavy meal for you. Um, that, that's a concept that's, that's coming more and more into its own called intermittent fasting. I don't know if you're familiar with that, Elena, but um, it's really just a window of time when you're not eating, okay? And they think it should be at least 12 hours, 12 to 14 hours. Um, and it's easiest to do that and, and best for you at night. Don't eat late at night, okay? Try to be done eating, have dinner by 6.30, 7 o'clock, uh, be done eating by 7.30, no later than eight, you know, get to bed by 10.30, 11 o'clock, um, and you, you will feel a lot better. Lara, thank you. You're welcome. I feel like I didn't have answers to all your questions, but um, I will now go take a look at guar gum and see if I can find anything about it specifically. But um, what, one last book I'd like to recommend for people. Um, it's a very short book. It's written by Michael Pollan, P-O-L-L-A-N, and it's called Food Rules, R-U-L-E-S, Food Rules, an Eater's Manual. Um, he basically says if you don't I, I, I forget, they're, they're like these little, uh, very short phrases um, on each page. Each, nothing is, is uh, very long, but um, it's just a few words. But one of his aphorisms is, you know, if you, if you can't, if you don't know what the, what the chemical thing is on the label, don't eat that food. You know, if, if, it's, if it's not a real food that you're familiar with, a real item that you would know what it was and might have in your house, don't buy that product. That's going to eliminate a lot of processed foods. A lot. Yeah. And to our audience, you have been listening to Lara Pizzorno, who is lead author of Healthy Bones, Healthy You, who discussed periodontal disease and osteoporosis. 
To propose a guest for the show, you can email me directly at editor at hispanicmpr.com. That's editor at hispanicmpr.com.